Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remember that old saying, power corrupts. Second Officer Slog, episode 37. I'm your host, M, and with me is my number one, Jackson. It's been so long since we've talked about Star Trek. It has been... Has it, has it been that long? No, we did the Short Treks episode not that long ago, but the last book we read was a while ago at this point. That's true, we did skip a month. Uh, also, we've been all in just completely immersed in another sci-fi thing, uh, which we're about to snap out of as Discovery comes back and we return to our Star Trek lands. I mean, we're never going to snap out of Gundam, not for the next decade. Yeah, but, you know, these were big weeks. Patrick Stewart will be dead before we're done with Gundam. Oh, no! Uh, so a bit of uh, scheduling here. We're going to be covering the first Sorrow book today. So, you know, if you haven't seen Discovery, you know, we're probably not going to talk about much in Discovery, actually. So you can just listen to this episode. We're covering two episodes of the original series. Uh, so, you know, no, like, big spoilery stuff to worry about. Um, after that, we have a thousand episodes of Star Trek ahead because the show's coming back. So next week, we will be doing the last two short treks, the Sorrow one and the Mud one. And then the week after that, I think, is when Discovery comes back. Um, and so those episodes should be coming out every, like, Monday or Tuesday. They'll be early in the week, the week after the episode airs, because the shows air on Thursday now instead of Sunday night. Yep. Uh, used we would try to get them out by like the Tuesday or Wednesday, but now we're yeah. going to record them on the weekends, considering that's just kind of how they're airing. Um, yeah, and we're not going to, I'm not about to release episodes on the weekends. So, you know, if mm-hmm. I get ambitious, I expect them to drop Sunday nights if you're subscribed to the feed, of course. Uh, we'll be doing them just like last time, rough summaries and hopefully our incredibly accurate predictions of what's going to happen in the show. <laughs> uh, the, the arc last time of us all basically nailing the entire show, minute one, and then slowly walking them back as they, like, start to... As specifically Lorca starts to win us over. Yes. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's a great... I'm so excited for another 14 episodes of Star Trek. Um, yeah, so we're going to be doing that at some point. It, probably in February, but no promises if things get busy. We're going to be covering our next book, which is the first of the A Time to Books, which are the, the it's the bridge between Nemesis, it, no, it's the bridge up to Nemesis, right? Yeah, this is, so Nemesis came out um, and was basically, at least what everyone thought until 2009 lo- was what blowing up Star Trek looked like. Um and so they were like, well, we're going to do a TNG relaunch just like we did with DS9. But Nemesis and a lot of the movies just make fundamentally no sense um, with the characters as established. So there are a series of nine books called the A Time Two books. Uh, they're all two-parters. Uh, all but one or two-parters. It was originally meant to be six two-parters, but they cut it down to nine books. Um, that... Uh, uh, take place before Nemesis, but exist to recontextualize that era of TNG in something a little bit more palatable for actual Star Trek fans. Uh, it's going to be really interesting because I'm so glad they did this rather than try to ignore the stuff they didn't like. Um, this all exists to make sense of like, why is Wesley there? Why is this? What's 
you know, what's happening with the Titan? Why is Riker moving away? What's happening with Riker and Troy, etc., etc., etc.? All these questions and more will be explored in the books. Um, and it's that's very interesting next... to me because I don't think Nemesis has like things that are not like. I don't think it has things that need explaining. The movie's just bad and actually has nothing to do with that stuff. But I mean, like, it doesn't have things that need explaining specifically, but it does ask a lot of questions such as why have the crew been in a complete character development stasis for a decade? Oh, like, that's it's fair. things like that. It's things that if you are a Star Trek fan, you would want them to address. I mean, the, the answer is that the TNG movies are fucking terrible. <laughs> well, obviously, but now, like, I don't know. I appreciate the mission of trying to contextualize that in a way that might be interesting. They could completely fail it. Who knows? These books aren't all good. <laughs> well, uh, to prove that we're starting off on the right foot, uh, apparently this first book is about the Traveler, which means we're going to be watching the two Traveler episodes of TNG, which oh, are Where No One yes. Has Gone Before from Season 1 and Journey's End from Season 7. Yeah, that one. We'll just get out of the way and never have to talk about it again. Never going to mention it again. Well, it's a good thing it won't come up in the book at all. I'm sure it will not. <laughs> Unless it's going to show up with fucking Dreamcatcher earrings or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Um... God, fucking terrible. <laughs> I know. Anyway, uh, that's what we've got for next month, probably next month. So look forward to that. I'm excited to talk about TNG books. That's the thing that like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about. The DS9 ones have gone so well. I can't imagine the TNG ones go as well. I really liked the appearance of the TNG crew in that one book. Like, I thought that uh, the way they did like Insurrection Era TNG with um, Star Trek Big Boss getting the orb was fine. I mean, they're barely in that book. Sure, but I was like, oh, I can see myself being invested <laughs> to the point, in this To era. the point where I had to think really hard. I'm like, what What book did we read that TNG in? Like, Shatterverse had one. TNG in it. No, no, they were in the first one. He met Rolaren and was like, I respect you now. Uh, remember when William Shatner could not abide William Riker existing and just made him the fucking worst cop dad in the world? <laughs> oh, that was so funny. Oh, I'm like, if you didn't listen to this one, this is your first episode, please uh, at least listen to our uh, episodes on the Shatterverse. If not, go read the books. They're fascinating. Yeah, specifically uh, the two, the Return uh, and yeah, the Avenger. Return and Avenger, yes. God, God, good stuff. Yes, uh, that's the that's the plan for the next schedule. Oh, if the if we don't hit our monthly schedule, don't blame us. We're doing two different weekly podcasts on episodes. Yes, yeah, so we will not be lacking for Star Trek, obviously, because we'll have the Discovery episodes up. But uh, sometimes the books, especially during Discovery, I want to get going because these are time to books are going to take the rest of the year. So, yeah, I just want to get on with them. Um, but, yeah. you know, if, if podcast production slows down, that's why we've got uh, about 30 podcasts to make in the next three months. Yeah, so don't, like, expect them on a regular schedule. There'll be a nice surprise when a book shows up. Also, I know SOS is, like, the podcast that has our lowest listenership of the ones us two do. Uh, yes. But we love you all. Like, yeah. this is the thing we care about. Yeah. If you listening to SOS, you're a real one. Like, the secret is, we're about to run out of really interesting gun to talk about, and we're going to be talking about interesting Star Trek for the rest of our lives, so. That is the secret. <laughs> Yes. Like, everyone's like, oh, Evan Jackson, they're the Gundam people. And it's like, no, we were never the Gundam people. We enjoy yeah. Gundam, but our heart lives here. Yeah, we're no, really I... mad about Star Trek all the time. Now we get In to a loving our, way. our, like, forged space communism from watching Gundam into just even harsher critiques of Star Trek, but we still love it more. Yes. The fucking so... neoliberal hellscape of Star Trek. And that, that's what we're going to talk about today. I mean, in the yeah. in the book a bit. Not really in these episodes as much. <laughs> no, not really in these episodes that much. So let's go ahead and get into the episodes. That's okay. it. We're going to have a musical break, and we will start the episodes. Space, the final frontier. 
These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Tomorrow is Yesterday, which is the original series, season one, episode 21. This aired this 26th of January, 1967. It was written by DC Fontana. It was directed by Michael O'Hare. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. Uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, it takes place in the year 2267 and also July 1969. Yes, it does. We begin in July 1669. Ah, July no, July the, the interesting thing here is they give you enough information, and even though this episode was produced in 67, they like, they're like, oh, the first manned mission to the moon or whatever is happening on next Wednesday, where you can actually pick the week in which this had to take place. Like serendipity, they pr- accurately predicted that we'd go to the moon in 69. My assumption was that was a thing that was already like supposed to be planned. It was not, because was the, not? the Apollo 11 fire happened and like everything was a mess. Oh, shit, right. Actually, yes. Yeah, I don't know. The, hmm. This I used to know like all the details about the space race when I was like a little kid. I was yeah. like all my shit, but now all the specifics kind of split down in my head. God, you're right. Man, that, that yeah. worked out for them. Mm-hmm. Doesn't bode well for the Third World War. Um, so... Uh, we begin in 1969 at an Air Force base round the corner from your home. Yes, uh, it's off it, which is literally like I used to go there to get haircuts as a kid because my dad was a veteran. Like it's like 10, 15 miles away. It's very close. Uh, and in 1969, they notice that there is a strange UFO in the sky. So they dispatch a, uh, they dispatch um, a plane to go and check down what this mysterious aircraft is. And of course, it is the Enterprise. Uh, the Enterprise notices it has a tail. Uh, this... Um, and they beam the. Uh, they first of all they put it with a tractor beam, and then they beam uh, beam the pilot aboard because the, the tractor ship- beam g- destroys the airplane. <laughs> it's like oh, because the Enterprise is airplane. irresponsible. <laughs> they don't realize that by beaming just like full on twenty third century space shit at a tiny airplane from the sixties is going to immediately crumble. But where is the Department of Temporal Affairs? <laughs> yeah, I know. Where's the guy in his weird spindly suit? Uh. Uh, he gets beamed aboard, and then we have Dilemma, for he now knows that the Enterprise is from the future. Kirk explains all this, and is like, hey, uh, we saved your life, but we can't send you back, because you now know about the future, and that's a problem, because we need the future to happen. Um, so, uh, this is the dilemma for the main bit of the episode. Uh, he wants to go back, he like tries to escape, and Kirk's like, no, I must, for the good of mankind, stop you from going back. Remember when I killed my wife, fake wife, in the other episode? Um, and uh, eventually we realize as he's about to go back they realize that he actually has to go back for he must born his son birth his son even this is a bad phrase he's got a son who has to exist for the future to happen uh, who does a mission to Saturn and the son has not been born yet so now they have a new dilemma uh (laughs) <laughs> to fix this, they now decide to beam onto Earth doing secret missions into the military base to erase all evidence of their existence and then send this guy back. That's their new plan. 
As they do this plan, they obviously get seen multiple times by multiple people, causing fuck-ups in every which way. Uh, they beam an old Admiral guy back up um, to the Enterprise, who is so shocked by the future that he literally comedy freezes in place. But it's not an effect. They haven't frozen him in place. It's just I a guy standing just, I think there. he's just a security guy. I don't think he's an Admiral guy. Oh, is he just a security guy? I thought yeah. the way he was dressed was like he was like more in charge. No, I think he's just an MP. Oh, well, even so, he's an old-looking veteran guy, right? Like, he's deliberately... They uh, beam him up to the Enterprise, and he is not okay. It's a very funny scene. The, the, the difference, like, the difference between him and the uh, pilot guy is the pilot guy is, like, leading man material for the 60s, and this guy is an extra from the 60s, so he looks 30 years older, even though I bet they're the exact same age. <laughs> God, you're right! It might be yes. it. That might just be it. Um uh, these hilarious disasters continue. Kirk gets like interviewed by uh, like a group of uh, people on the base as he's trying to be like, I've, I just appeared from thin air. Whoa, you don't, you wouldn't believe me when I tell you where I'm from. I'm a little green man. Um, this just continues expanding for multiple, uh, like the whole axis. They're like, there's no way they, like this is done. The cat's out of the bag. They can't fix this, guys. Stop trying. Uh, but eventually they realize um, that they. Uh, can shoot themselves back around the sun and erase this from ever happening so long as they beam the guys back at the exact moment they left. Uh, and then history would have gone exactly according to plan. Uh, and it so erases their memory, which I don't... Un- whatever. Whatever. They go around the sun and everything's fixed and nothing that happened mattered. And then they yes. leave and it's fine. Um, it is... That's it. That's the whole episode. They do it. They, the problem is solved. Nothing was learned because there was nothing to learn and the day is saved. The end. The end. It's a weird episode. Uh, yeah. I did not know, expect picking these two episodes. There's episodes I knew the titles of uh, that th- we would find two episodes that are almost about nothing and kind of ridiculous <laughs> action comedy, sometimes unintentional, sometimes intentional. Yeah, it's it's very strange because, like, I mean, we um, uh, what's it called? What's what's the the episode where they go back to the fifties called that we watched the first time, but I forgot his name. City of Legend Forever. One. City of Legend Forever. That's the one. It's basically the same conflict as that, which is if you but way less stakes <laughs> and way more re- like cartoon drama. Yeah, it ends up working out to having no stakes whatsoever. Like one, there's less stakes in the first place, and two, they erase those stakes by the end of the episode. Uh, yes. It doesn't mean I think it's bad. I actually think it's very funny, like fine Star Trek stuff happening back and forth. But yes. as as like an original series episode structured around morals and we're learning things uh it is definitely less um impactful and structured as i expected uh before we even get into talking about that stuff uh, ropey season one tos stuff uh they are in service of the united earth space probe agency and yes trek or kirk contacts starfleet control which is like maybe the most sinister version of starfleet i could ever imagine <laughs> like um. if starfleet was in the prisoner it would be called starfleet control <laughs> Uh, this is a very prisoner-like episode for that one guy. Yes. <laughs> God, it really is. <laughs> if this episode was entirely from his perspective, it would just be the prisoner. <laughs> yes. See, so they beam forward the uh, the captain guy who... what What is his name? Where is this guy's name? John Christopher, the most generic <laughs> American man who's ever no, lived. No wonder you forgot. I've already forgotten his name. What did you say? Christopher John. John Christopher. John Christopher. <laughs> Uh, Captain John Christopher, and he takes all of this in like extreme stride. He just like puts on a uniform and is walking around like it's normal. Um, I love that compared to the guy they beam aboard, the rando security guard who is just frozen in place the entire time. 
cannot handle being in the future. Frozen in place, and then there's like an incredible comedy scene where they're like, uh, well, he's like, I could use something to eat. Uh, and the 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 <laughs> transporter room guy goes to the food dispenser in the transporter room because this guy can just be on call all the time and eat snacks while he's waiting for someone to be beamed up, uh, which is great. That sounds like the best job on earth. Does O'Brien <laughs> Does have a food dispenser? That's my question. I mean, there's got to be a replicator in there, right? Maybe that's maybe when um, in DS9 when Picard. When one of the funniest lines started, because this was always your favorite transporter room. <laughs> He's like, sure, sir, Riker gives me the duty roster. I don't choose what room I go to. <laughs> like, like, like we're meant to care. As if, as yeah. if there are a million other transporter rooms, but there's we've never three, seen them and they look different. Yeah, there's there's three, I think, on the Enterprise D. I just assume they all just look the same and it could be any of them. Anyway, yes, but maybe absolutely. that's the one that had the uh maybe that's the one that had the replicator. Oh yeah, he's just there eating haggis or some shit. <laughs> that's not even the right country. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Star Trek wouldn't care. <laughs> Star Trek would not care. Uh, <laughs> but he just uh, happens to have like the like little thing like the little plastic card for chicken soup. It's a it's good he didn't have one for like Gok or something that would really freak this guy out. Yeah, so so he does the like like oh, I'd love some chicken soup, and then he makes some chicken soup right there. But it's not TNG where they just say the thing. He has to, he just happens to have the right recipe on his hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's lots of funny stuff like that. Like it's a very ridiculous episode. I enjoyed yes. it a lot, um, but it's it's also very uh, thematically inert in a way that's like I don't know, Star Trek uh, the original series is usually very thematically heavy handed, often to its detriment. Yep. Uh, uh, this was the yes. opposite. I also love the continuing weirdness of Star Trek, just like denoting that it doesn't matter if some people are just erased from history, <laughs> which is the thing that came up in City of the Edge Forever. That one guy vaporized himself. The timeline does not change for him. It doesn't matter. He can I, die. I'm still mad about that. <laughs> and so originally they're like, oh, Christopher, John Christopher, he could just like live here. We could kill him. Spock's like, oh, we could just kill him. It's fine. History doesn't care. <laughs> Like, uh, I, looked up, I looked up on Wikipedia, nothing there, so he, he could just die. It wouldn't change a and thing. And then he comes in later and he's like, oh, I scrolled down, sir. His son is very important. <laughs> <laughs> Which feels completely antithetical to like the morals, the stated morals of Star Trek, but it's definitely in line with a certain view of how it like approaches this stuff. Oh, this era of Star Trek, one of the reasons Star Trek is good, I continue to believe, is because this original show barely holds together and changes its mind on everything every time. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, that's what we always talk about. That's why the, like, canon of Star Trek is interesting. It's not because it holds together. It's because it's completely unrelated sci-fi stories written on top of each other. Yep. Uh, so just interest forms from those conflicts. Yes. But then Kirk decides to beam down with Sulu, which I feel like is, even in 60, is like maybe like a, hmm, I feel like this might make people especially suspicious to bring like the Japanese guy with you uh, to an Air Force base. To an Air Force base! <laughs> Um, incredible tactical decision making there uh and then kirk opens a door with like a fake sonic screwdriver that's literally what he has he has like a little device that he points at a mechanical lock and it undoes the lock through magic he does that's literally that's what he does you're right that that, that happens in this episode (laughs) which is not a thing that would ever happen he would joke about needing to like know how to pick a lock and he'd be like sulu would be like i learned how to do this in the academy sir (laughs) Man, we've watched too much Star Trek. <laughs> uh, but then Sulu beams up, Kirk gets captured. I love him just like joking, like shitting with this guy who's like, he's the man is just like apoplectic, demanding Kirk tell him everything he knows, and Kirk is just in full vamp mode. But in he, a way he's not apoplectic. Like, like he is in the like, text of the episode, but what he's actually done is taken him into the back room like he's been caught shoplifting and not 
stealing um, secrets from an American military base. Oh, sure. But he's just doing, yes, but he's yelling as if he's a, like a Walmart manager dressing down a teen, and he's so mad. <laughs> I know, but it, like, I'm like, this is an American military base. Like, he would be being tortured right now, guys. Yes. Like, he wouldn't yes. be able to speak and be like, ah, I'm from the moon, guys. You don't know <laughs> what I'm doing. And, like, the other guy's not going to accept an explanation. Yes. <laughs> it's a very cartoonish betrayal of the American military in a way that, like, lines up with some of Star Trek's views, but also I feel like most of the Star Trek that exists uh, takes a... Um, it goes in the other direction, right? And there's always big monologues about how, oh, we were so barbaric before, but now we're good, is usually the way they go. But then they go back to it, and it's just one guy talking to Kirk on a chair. Yes. <laughs> uh, also funny, has to be noted, doesn't really go anywhere, uh, maybe the best stunt, uh, fighting stunt in all of Star Trek. Oh, uh, so Kirk's fighting three, Kirk is fighting three guys. Yes. Uh, like, to distract them as Sulu beams out. Um, in a pretty good scene because he just shuts the door and Sulu realizes what it has to do. It's nice, nice, uh, nicely done that. Uh, and in this fight, as he's fighting one of them with bad TV fighting and double hand punches, uh, they are like recovering from his last hit, and they all kind of stand up together. And his next move is to jump at them and turn sideways, and then hit them sideways. All three. Oh of them. right, yes. <laughs> as if he's been thrown, but he hasn't. He's just jumped into that position already. Yes, it's amazing. It is very good. Um. And in a one of my favorite lines in all of Star Trek, in how wrong and bad it is, <laughs> at some point the guy that's interrogating Kirk's like, "I'm gonna throw you in prison for 200 years," and Kirk like looks to camera and goes, "That's just about right," proving that James T. Kirk does not know basic math because he is 300 years in the past, not 200 years in the past. I choose to read this not as a canon mistake, but literally Kirk getting it wrong. It's <laughs> way yes. too me. So 200 years? Ah, uh, no, 300 years. Shit. Ah, you can't read this. <laughs> Shows up and he's fucking meeting old ass Archer. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Coming out of like suspended prison. Because that's like 10 years after Enterprise, right? Like 2169. I think that's about right. Because I think nice. Enterprise is around the 2150s. It is. It is. That is it. Enterprise uh, ends in 2154, I think. Okay. Yeah. So Archer's probably president at that point or some shit. Some weird stuff we'd never get to see. And there oh. he is. There's James T. Kirk. Kirk. <laughs> Imprisoned Kirk. And <laughs> Just President like with a Archer. big fuck off beard. <laughs> Wait, so his aging's been frozen in this hypothetical yes. scenario, but yes. he's still grown a beard. Yes. He just comes out and he looks like fucking like Generations Kirk, but with a big fuck off beard. <laughs> I'd watch this. Yes. <laughs> what a stupid premise. <laughs> God, why isn't there a book written about this? William Shatner, oh. get back into the word processor. Open up a file. Write this book. Stop having your assistants tweet out really gross things because you think it gets you followers. You know, um, you, you're like fucking 90 years old. Get it done quickly, please. Yep. Uh, and I guess that's that for that episode. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else. It's very dumb. Yep. Speaking of very dumb episodes, we oh. also have the Doomsday Machine. Uh, which is episode six of season two of the original series. It aired 20th of October, 1967. It was written by Norman Springrud, uh and directed by Mark Daniels, and it takes place in 2267. So Enterprise gets a distress signal, um, like a disaster thing, uh, that only says the word constellation. 
And despite being in space where there's plenty of constellations because it's the middle of outer space, like that must mean the USS constellation. And they rush off to go figure out what's going on. It is their sister ship, the constellation. Uh, Kirk's friend, uh, Commodore Matt Decker is captain commanded, but captain is a weird word when he's a Commodore, but whatever. We're not going to ask questions. It's TOS. None of this makes any sense. (laughs) Uh, And he is in a solar system where like most of the planets have been destroyed uh, because there used to be like seven of them or whatever. And now there's only two and the constellation is really fucked up in space. And uh, they go there and they check it out and everyone's dead except for Commodore Decker, who just has like a, like stubble and bags under his eyes sitting in his console waiting to die basically. Um, And he tells them about a strange planet devouring robot that his, he, his ship encountered and it disabled his ship, nearly killed everyone. He beamed them all to the third planet to save them. And then that thing ate the third planet and like planet seven or three through seven. Um, and he's like, oh, it's the worst thing in the world. The devil is real. Everyone said it was fake because this is atheist Star Trek. But I've seen the devil and it is this giant space whale uh, because <laughs> this is just Moby Dick on some level. Uh uh, there's an incredible. I I think you've read the memory alpha, like the anecdote at the end of this page. Oh, what is the anecdote? I don't. I did not. I- oh, okay. There's an amazing anecdote uh, from the guy that played Decker, where he read an article about this episode later, uh, uh-huh. where it called it Moby Dick, and he's like, "Oh, I guess that's what that was what I was doing. I didn't realize that." Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, he thought the episode seemed kind of silly with the planet eater in the spaceship, and acted as though he was playing in a cartoon. I I was playing Captain Ahab in Outer Space, but I didn't think about it that way until years after when I read it in an article. <laughs> yep. So they beam him back on the Enterprise to get some help or whatever, while uh, Kirk and Scotty and some guys who don't matter hang out on the ship to fix it up. They're like, we're going to get this. We're going to get the records. We'll make sure the ship is uh, ship spaceworthy, and we're going to try to tow it out of here. Uh, meanwhile, the planet thing comes back. The planet eater, I guess we'll call it. Uh and oh the doomsday uh, machine the doomsday machine um (laughs) yes uh there's an amazing scene where they're describing this all where kirk is like oh have you ever heard of a doomsday machine and bones is like jim i'm a doctor not a mechanic (laughs) Uh, it's not that kind of machine bones one and then kirk then goes on to explain like the idea of like mutually assured destruction and h-bombs and what this is is like a giant h-bomb in space a giant robot that just eats things from another galaxy maybe it was sent out by a society that destroyed itself by building such a horrible device and apparently mccoy does not know a single thing about earth history despite the fact that star trek's all about espousing earth history at anyone who will listen (laughs) Literally everyone at all times. Kirk's like, I took a I took a history course once, and then McCoy's like, I'm a doctor, we didn't have to take history. <laughs> no one asked. Uh yeah. McCoy's hilarious exposition, uh like emptiness is always good. <laughs> yes. Uh and then Kirk just delivering an extremely pointed message about H bombs. Also extremely Star Trek. Uh anyway, while they're over there, this thing attacks, and then the transporter explodes sparks fly up from beneath the panel which seems very dangerous not a thing you should have the transporter do just the pads explode randomly Um, yeah it's a bad time yes uh good thing no one was beaming aboard when that happened uh yeah no absolutely he gets star trek one which is great uh more horrific inside out star trek gags (laughs) 
it's funny because I, I I didn't remember it in Star Trek Motion Picture, and there's a big joke about that in Galaxy Quest, but they literally just did that in real Star Trek in the 70s. <laughs> I always forget about that as well. Yep. No, they do that one transport because uh, they're going to transport like McCoy and a bunch of other people aboard and someone like the transporter malfunctions and someone comes in inside out and they're just like a bloody mess. And then they beam up McCoy and it's fucking disco pants beard McCoy. Oh, <laughs> the right, best that's, McCoy. Just, that's just like a joke before they bring McCoy on. Yes. And he's like, I can't believe you almost turned me inside out. What happened to the other guy? <laughs> eh, it doesn't matter. He's an ensign. <laughs> Did he just die? Did they fix him? Uh, anyway, Decker <laughs> decides he's going to take over, uh, the ship and he's going to go back and fight the giant planet killer. Uh, McCoy's like, you can't do that. You're clearly a crazy person, evil captain, as every Star Trek person who is not the main captain of the show is. Uh, and Spock is like, well, if you could relieve him, if you had medical records saying he was unfit for duty, but you don't, cause you don't have time to do that. We don't have any records yet. So you can't do that. We're just gonna have to let him be in command. That's just how this is going to go. And then so Decker orders him to fight, which is a bad idea, obviously. Uh, and then Kirk comes on the horn to Spock. or He go, he comes to contact Mr. Spock and uh, Decker answers. He's like, let me talk to Mr. Spock. And he's like, no, I can't do that. I'm in command, Jim. I took over. My order supersedes you. I'm a Commodore. That's more than a captain. Uh, you'll never know it because you'll never see another one. But that's how this goes. Uh, and then he basically like yells into the mic, like the phone, Spock, you need to relieve him of command. And Spock's like, well, if you say so, Jim, I'll do it. <laughs> Just superseding all of the orders for no good reason. Uh, demands that the security team take him off. And then uh, Decker's like, you can't do that. I don't believe you do that. I think you're bluffing. And Spock, in his best poker face, goes, a Vulcans do not bluff. Which, Which is I hilarious because say... Vulcans are full of shit. They fly to drop a hat if it suits them. Vulcans bluff more than anyone. Vulcans using like their like weird racial trait of everyone thinks that they're the most logical, self-serious people in the world to believe they'll never lie is one of my favorite Vulcan traits. <laughs> because it's so patently untrue and yet it works all the time. Yeah, he was like, oh, I guess, I guess Vulcans, yeah, I guess Vulcans don't lie, huh? <laughs> lie to your face they don't care if it's logical to do so they'll do anything so long as it's logical yeah and you can justify a lot of things through logic it turns out there are a lot of definitions of logic <laughs> yep so they get the deckers ordered to go to sick bay to get treatment to not be ridiculous and tired and crazy and the minute he steps onto a different deck with, like, a security guard, they get in a weird, like, martial arts fight, which is patently goofy because they're both making, like, karate hands at each other. But it's also maybe the best fight this show's ever had. <laughs> it's like, oh, the stuntmen were actually doing work today. Um, mm -hmm. And then Decker just, like, decks the security guy and runs to the ship. Uh, now he's loose and no one knows it. Uh, and he steals the shuttle and he's going to go and take the shuttle and fight the giant space whale. Uh, and they're like, don't do that. You're going to die if you do that. Uh, and he's like, I've been dead since my entire crew was killed, Kirk. This is what I'm going to do. And then makes rubber faces at the screen as he flies into the planet killer, um, which is good. Uh, they discover when that happens that they damaged the planet killer to fly in a, like a shuttle into it that would explode. Uh, and Kirk's like, oh, I've got a plan. What if we just turn the constellation towards the planet killer, rig it to blow up its engines? Even with the warp core down, the impulse engines have an explosion of, like, what, 200-something kilotons uh, of damage. <laughs> it's like, yeah, even even uh, even with, um, you know, 
Uh, we, we don't even have weapons or the warp core, but this is still like super nuke shit going yes. on. Yes, yeah, Kirk's like, oh, the explosion will be 97 megatons, and Spock's like, no, it would not. It would be 97.85 megatons. <laughs> Uh, and so he has Scotty rig like a 30 second detonator. He's like, I'll be the one to pull the trigger, Scotty. And Scotty's like, sure, I'm going to get back on the Enterprise. Get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't try to be heroic. He immediately beams out. He's like, good luck, Captain. Me. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then as soon as Scotty beams aboard, the transporter blows up again. And so Scotty has to spend the last like five minutes in a two, like the Jeffrey's tube of the Enterprise, which is like a diagonal 45 degree tunnel of just hell it's just fireworks and switches going off uh as he's trying to fix like jury rig the transporter to get fixed as kirk has already done the 30 second countdown and is just standing there increasingly flop sweating <laughs> as the countdown happens <laughs> it's incredible the big dramatic like thing in this episode is because he's already he's already pressed the button so it's literally just him standing there like he's like need the loo <laughs> yes no because the thing i really like about this is normally kirk is, like they portray kirk is like he's just the coolest man in space he would just be like i'm ready to go anytime you want and be very glib about it and the fact that they play this one like really long where he just starts to get more and more nervous he's like uh anytime guys <laughs> beam me up scotty uh and then finally gets beamed up at the last second is very good uh he beams aboard no longer sweating just ready to like leap forward <laughs> It's really good. So, so he, when he's on the um on the constellation, he's like just increasingly flops ready and going like where where it's going on. Anytime you want to beam me, that'd be fantastic. Uh, and then he beams over and he's like in a completely new like action pose. Yes, he's just he like, literally like runs off the pad in pure William Shatner. Captain Kirk would not flop sweat. I have to prove it by having him run off his pad pose after just. 30 seconds of straight flops no one blames you for flop sweating it is i too would not yep. be enjoying the moment of the countdown <laughs> yep uh, and he goes aboard to why he goes up to the bridge to watch the uh big space whale thing die maybe not die it's a it's it's a robot they are very explicit that it's not a living thing because they don't want to have the argument is it okay to destroy the giant space whale yeah uh, this, this isn't uh something exists by eating other planets are we breaking nature thing like they do that plot a lot this isn't that they should just need to blow the thing up yeah uh the robot falls it literally like keels over in space which is very funny <laughs> because yes. uh, it just like rolls over and like half tilts down like it, it, there's gravity it's very good uh and then uh, Kirk's like, in my log, I will say Decker died in line of duty. Uh, and then he's like, uh, I told I told Bones earlier about the H-bomb, but we use something very much like the H-bomb to stop this. We turned, maybe this is the first time nuclear weapons have ever been used for good. And then Spock's like, I wonder if there's any others out there in the universe. And Kirk's like, I think one was quite sufficient. And everyone laughs and freeze frame the end. <laughs> it's really funny how much the uh, the whole concept this did is it's kind of played as a joke. Yes. Uh, when it's the literal plot of Mass Effect for three games. <laughs> God. <laughs> what if there were doomsday machines that came from outside the galaxy to eat the planets? Wouldn't that be fucked up? Yes. Yep. Uh, this episode's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Worth noting, the one weird thing, and I thought it was really conspicuous, uh, Uhura's not in this episode. The minute there's like another random lady there, you're like, where's Uhura? Yeah, no, who's this white girl? Get out! When when Uhura's not on screen, people should be wondering, where's Uhura? I am. I am. <laughs> You've done your job, I guess. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Matt Decker, I, 
I like his performance. He is from a different, goofier like show. It's the show that everyone was worried Star Trek would be, right? Like, like yeah. oh, they're gonna do the sci-fi anthology continuation show, and it's just gonna be a dumb sci-fi thing for kids. And Mac Decker shows up, and he looks like a hobo who's just been like <laughs> drinking for three weeks. But he's a, he's a commodore, which is bigger than a captain, and just and vamps spends, his way through. Spends like half the episode just rules lawyering with everyone. Yep. Uh, and this this episode has a lot of really. There's like every time Bones says something, he does like a weird wild arm gesture. That did you notice this? He was definitely overacting a lot. Yes, he does like a like a he's like catching a beach ball every time he says something emphatically <laughs> with his arms. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's strange. Yes, there's a lot of weird, goopy stuff in this episode, uh, which is weird because I feel like the at some point I assume the script for this episode was very, very serious. It's it's meant to be super serious as it plays the the, the tensions between like uh, Decker and Spock and everyone. But any Star Trek plot that's about like can we relieve you of command? It's always dumb. Like yes. every time, it's always dumb. Uh, like this is less dumb than I guess Star Trek 09, which is the peak of this idea. What I want to know is why every captain in all of Star Trek that isn't the captain of the show the that show you're watching, watching? is yeah. just the worst person in the world. <laughs> every time anyone but the protagonist takes command, it's always for evil. No one's ever yeah. done that and done good. No. no. Not once. Like, sometimes they're justified. You're like, oh, I didn't like that person, but they had a point. Uh, but mostly they're just like Decker, where they're clearly off the rocker, and you're like, someone must relieve them immediately before we all die. And then you get that episode uh, of Redemption that we watched the other other week, where, where Data does this, but is right because the show needs it to be, but he's doing this. Yes, he goes up to a different crew who are, have the episode where the captain shows up, and it's a new captain, and they hate him. But because it's Data, and he's the only character you know and care about, he must be right. But he doesn't like act any different. He doesn't act empathetically towards anyone. It's not about him learning that he needs to be empathetic to his crew for them to follow his orders, which you think it is it's just him being he just does the decker thing he just yells about the rules this is why red shirts is a better book than you say it is (laughs) (laughs) all right fine fine (laughs) fine i accept this argument i really didn't like it but through this lens i can see it yes because literally the only difference here is someone is a main character and the other people are not i still think if this if this is if this is a show about Commodore Decker and the Constellation he showed up at the Enterprise, he would directly turn that thing around and destroy the whale, space whale and be correct. And Spock would be the stuck-up second officer who couldn't understand how to take orders correctly. I mean, Spock is... That, that character just exists in, that, in Redemption, right? That's just exactly yep. what Spock yep. is doing. Uh, yeah, okay, fine. That does... Uh, sure. Uh, I still love how Discovery starts with this. Yes. With the character realizing they are not the main character of a Star Trek show. Yep. I'm in the brick now? How did this happen? That doesn't happen to Star Trek characters. I thought when you do the thing to make the thing happen, that's always meant to lead to the good outcome. Yeah. This is what they told us in the <laughs> <Star Trek laughs> Academy. Oh, Star Trek's good. I guess I guess she didn't learn. Sorry, this is what the Vulcan Science Academy said humans do. They just do the thing <laughs> they decide is right, and there's no consequences ever. That's how human society works. <laughs> and you know what? Normally, you know she would Normally, be cor- yes. correct. The Vulcans were right. Just this one time. <laughs> just once. But only once. In all other times, it is correct. Oh, uh, I would love it if the Vulcans were just teaching other Vulcans about the plot of Star Trek and, like, the <laughs> way the episodes are written so they can survive the Federation. <laughs> just or when, when, when anyone questions you, tell them that Vulcans don't lie. Yeah, everyone will believe it, except the main characters who will think it's charming that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is just all true. Yes. This is how Sarek has lived his life. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Sarek understood how Star Trek is written and survived until he couldn't anymore. But he made sure that he got like the best send off of any main minor character that's ever existed. <laughs> ever. Um, yes. Salute to Sarek, the secret most important Star Trek character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's it for this. We've, we've rambled a lot. Uh, the one thing that's really interesting, uh, we everyone watching TOS original like now is watching the remastered versions. Um, if you go back and look at the original versions of this episode, which is a effects heavy episode, um, the the constellation model is like a really early off the shelf like Enterprise model kit that had just come out that they went and got and built and then de-stressed. It's very funny. Oh, they were just like we can't build we can't blow up an actual model. Yeah, we don't have the money to build another one of these. We're just gonna get like a commercial kit and throw it together. That's good. Yes. Um the the Planet Killer is honestly I think way more impressive in the sixties sci fi effects. Uh, well, yeah, like a mid two thousand cheap computer effect is never going to be impressive. Like it doesn't matter what you're sometimes. Showing on sometimes I like the way that the remaster looks. I like the. Uh, I generally like all the Enterprise shots. Like they're really CG, but they really show off the ship in a way that is like meant to be like, man, the Enterprise is really fucking cool, isn't it? Uh, and you're like, yes, it is. Uh, they, they show off the ship and they like put the uh, new episodes in context and like I, they do their job really well. I think it's a really well done remaster. But in terms of like. I am impressed that this shot was made. It's, you're never. Like, never. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, but yeah, if you go to Memory Alpha, you can see shots of... Yep, I went and two did side the by comparison. Side. Um, I always do the comparison. Yep. Uh, yeah, YouTube often has comparison videos, especially for effects-heavy episodes like this. Mm -hmm. uh, the Planet Killer honestly looks better in the original. Uh, but everything absolutely. else does not. <laughs> the weird, like, glowing blue. Yes. Yeah, it looks it looks really strange in a way that the CG rock whale does not. Uh, I'm so excited to see the Enterprise again next yeah. week in a couple weeks. No, for sure, absolutely. Good ship. Yeah, it's a good ship. So those are our episodes. Uh, once again, next month we are talking about where no one has gone before from TNG and Journey's End. Uh, again from TNG. Uh, as always, episodes will be on the website. Uh, you can just look them up. We'll have links to Memory Alpha if you want to just read them and not rewatch. And, you know, for Journey's End, I'd understand. <laughs> yeah. Because you're like, oh, it's a fucking thing about the Federation relocating Native Americans. And it is that. But there's also that weird thing about Picard's ancestor, like, actually displaced Native Americans. And he's repaying a, like, heritage blood debt. And it's bad. There's a lot of bad stuff in that episode. Oh. <gasps> Everyone forgets the part where there's, like, Picard's blood guilt of being a white man. I don't forget that. <laughs> I've never forgot that. Yeah. That episode, hmm. Yeah. We'll have to talk about it. Yeah. Jack Crusher shows up in that episode. Fucking Jack Crusher. Great. Everyone's least favorite Star Trek character. <laughs> Jack Crusher. God. Uh, well, that's it for the episode. It's time to talk about the book.
our book this time is called Fear Itself. It is written by James Swallow. It came out the 5th of June, 2018. Uh, it takes place in 2252, which means, of course, it is a discovery book. I was like, this book only just came out. <laughs> it's been six months already. Yeah. Oh, God. More than that. Way more than that. What do you mean way more than that? Like, June is what? This, I got Okay, seven, eight months. Something like that. Six months! June is the... Uh, all right, I guess if we're beginning of June, June is the... Be- all right, seven, seven... T- fuck! Yes. <laughs> it's 2019. It. Yeah, no, I know. I was like, oh, June to January. It's just perfect lineup six months. But this is the, the beginning The bell riots are like several years away, so... Oh! <laughs> so, we have a nice summary, courtesy of memory beta. Um... That I will read out, and well, then we'll get into the book. But the summary will give us the whole everything that's going on. Yeah, I didn't write. I didn't write full summary this time. Normally, I do one because we have seven thousand uh, Star Trek episodes about to come. Two, the book didn't really need it. It's pretty self-contained and isn't like wild in the way that the last one we read was. Yeah, we've had other books because of DS Nine just being like sprawling and focusing on a million characters and themes. This is just an episode of Star Trek, so it has a summary that uh, will sound like that. So. Uh, the Shenzhou detects a damaged ship in the buffer area between the Tholian and Peliar space. Despite receiving no response to the hails, Georgia elects to head into the zone to offer assistance. Saru, inst- <laughs> Saru accidentally volunteers to join an away team led by Chief Engineer Johar, uh, who, who managed to stabilize the Pelia ship's warp core. Saru discovers the ship's cargo had contained several Gorlands kept in primitive conditions. The ship's commander, Nathal, states they are refugees and survivors of economy decimated by the Tholians who claim to the two Pelian moons and are being relocated to a suitable planet. I would like to interrupt for a second. Uh, this summary says several Gorlands. It's several, like, hundred Gorlands. <laughs> yeah, this makes it sound... I mean, in an, in an episode of TNG it would be like three guys yes uh, but because it's a book this is like a whole it's a cargo hold full of refugees like, it's an entire like big village worth of people yeah and they have yeah a whole hold of people there's a lot of people they're relocating uh, the Gorlins appear to confirm uh, the Gorlins appear to confirm this, but Sarah remains suspicious and decides to investigate on his own without authorization. However, the Gorlins then seize control of the ship, taking both the Peliar crew and the Starfleet team prisoner. Johar is injured, le- Johar is injured saving Sarah's life, leaving Sarah in command of the landing party. He reluctantly helps the Gorlins disable the Shenzhou without loss of life. However, it soon becomes clear that the Pelion ship is on a preset course to the intended Golem planet. Saru meets with Eja, who acts as the... Uh, is that how you pronounce it? It's like Eja? That's how I... I said Eja, but... Eja? Yeah. Okay. One Eja, of those. One of those. Um, who acts as the focal point for the Golem's low-level ta- telepathic link. Saru suspects this affected the Pelion, making them feel fear and anguish around the Golems. They arrive at the colony planet, only to find it as barren and barely habitable. Um, I want to note that they there are half the... the uh, Gorlans there that left when they uh, were originally at the moons. Yes, because this um, Gorlin fleet is the last Gorlin fleet of a bunch of them to be... And they say that there were over 400,000 on the yes. moon, and there's like 200,000 life signs here, so... Yeah. That's the situation we have. The Shenzhou crew encounter a Peliar ship commanded by Nathal's father, Admiral Tar, who intends to use deadly force against the Gorlans. Tar tracks... Tar tracks down the captured Pelion ship, but uh, the next arrivals are the Tholians, who claim the area of space is theirs. Tar intends to ev- evacuate Nathal and her crew and leave the Gorlans and Starfleet party behind to die, but not only Nathal, but Tal's own crew re- refused to go along with it, relieving him, which is always good when that happens. Uh, the three groups work together to defend themselves against the Tholians. 
with Sarah's tactics helping them keep at bay until the Shenzhou arrives to help them out. With his ship damaged and his crew evacuated, Tal sacrifices himself in a kamikaze assault on the lead Tholian ship, and the surviving Tholians withdraw. Peliar promised to find the Golems a more suitable world. Also, Sarah doesn't actually get in trouble, because it's Star Trek. <laughs> also, Sarah doesn't get in trouble at all. Yes, Georgia gives him a speech all about, you know, when you're a character of a Star Trek show, you can do whatever you want, except for Michael Burnham that one time. <laughs> she's but about to even, go to jail. <laughs> no, it's even funnier than that, because she's like, yeah, Michael would have got away with this, but you really shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Which is a very bad lesson to give to Michael Burnham, knowing what's about to happen to her. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, that's the book. That's uh, it's, it's the, the broad level summary of what's going on. Saru goes and tries to do a thing and is forced into his first like command situation of his life. Yes. Uh, some just random notes that are not about like the thematic stuff of this book. Okay. Uh, I want a thousand Shenzhou stories. It's a great ship. It, every time we're just hanging out with Captain Georgiou and she's not fucking evil queen of space, it's a good time. I like it a lot. Yeah. It's a great era. Yep. Uh, it's really fertile ground. Uh, the other thing, the Tholians, one of my favorite Star Trek races they don't use enough of. I love the giant crystalline lava spiders. They're so weird and interesting. Um, I mean, they're not interesting. This book made me realize why they never use the Tholians. I don't know. I like, I like, because they're kind of like the thing they want to do with like the Borg of the Romulans, yeah. but they, because they're so underwritten and because they're so like othered, like it still works. Like the Tholians show up, you're like, oh shit, this is about to get really bad if they don't do something right now. Like, yeah, I don't want every book to be about the Tholians. It would ruin them just like it did, like, the Borg, right? But, but. it's also an easy out. Like, they are always going to be the other. They are never going to be able to be understood. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's... I hope that's not true. I hope at some point we get a book about someone understanding a Tholian. Uh, sure, but I don't even know if that's a good thing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we're going to bring... Everyone will be compatible with the language tra translator eventually, right? Like, it's... Uh, I mean, the Tholians speak english sure. whatever I basic that more thematic thing if everyone comes under yeah. the federation's wing sooner or later uh i bet it would not be that i bet it's more that like one person understands what the tholians are about and are like man they are never going to join the federation they are <laughs> yeah. whole, they believe in a whole different shit <laughs> they sure do and it's mostly leave us alone <laughs> yeah please leave us alone our, our border is whatever we claim it is but if you cross it we're going to destroy it <laughs> yeah I do like that the Tholian web is just a thing everybody knows about, and the Enterprise, ten years later, blunders the fuck into it. <laughs> like, what everyone, the hell is this thing? Everyone talks about the Tholian web in this book, and I'm like, wait, yes. didn't they discover that in the, no, in the, in, in the original series episode? Apparently uh, not. Everyone just knows that the Tholians have weird energy webs. Yep. Uh, <laughs> God. What a ridiculous thing. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it... So we were talking about this book being like entirely in line with your read of Saru. Uh, this is the book that made me realize that Saru is pretty good. Like I had, I feel like Saru went in so many directions in the first season of Discovery. I didn't have a good read so, on him as a character. So yeah, what were your competing, what was your impression of Saru before this book? Well, the thing with, the stuff with Saru in Discovery is he starts off being kind of like a huge jerk in a way that I don't think they justify. Um... And then the first one of these we read, everyone was like really shitty to Saru in like a way that's like, man, uh, are they trying to do something about like Saru is the one that is like super prejudiced against in the books in like on the Shenzhou. And that's why he is the way he is in Discovery that we see on camera, but it never lines up properly. Uh, and then the fear thing is like only nebulously interesting 
in the move in the show because it's normally like all oh, his little flanges come up and he's like I sense death. <laughs> <laughs> Which, that line in that first trailer was like, oh, that's the worst part of this. And Sara ended up being pretty good, but uh, there's also that episode where he does he finally doesn't feel fear and he turns evil instantly. <laughs> Um, which is it's not a great good. episode of Star Trek. Ah, uh, it's fine, but yes, it's a bit messy. Look, um, if this show runs for like five seasons, everyone will look at that episode and be like, "We don't, we we forget that happened to Sorrow. It's boring." <laughs> oh yes, everyone, no one's going to hold it against him. Just, just ignore that. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, the thing I like about this book is it understands that his deal isn't necessarily fear. Fear is just kind of like the th- the way it manifests itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more that he just has this uh, very labor-intensive mental burden of having to just be on his shit all the time. He has like <laughs> impulses that he has to like fight against. It's like a very clear mental health metaphor in this. Yes, uh, in a way that was very like very good. Um, I have been the last few weeks. I've had uh, some weird brain stuff that has been very different to my normal things. I've had like OCD in a big way, which is just like intrusive thoughts that are like very separate to you and don't make your mood worse but definitely make it harder to function and i was like oh this is just this they're just doing the thing that i'm living great um like you're not having the hologram program things to scare you though no but if i no i am i am not Um, (laughs) but the like the way it this book um by setting itself from sarah's perspective like emphasized the just uh day-to-day labor of how you have to get over the parts of your brain that stop you from fitting into society Mm. um is it's very good. Uh, I I like that stuff a lot. I love how they portray Saro here because I've always liked Saro and I've always kind of understood that he's this weird conflict between um, a very nice and person, like a very nice, fearful person who's very supplicant, but also like deeply egotistical and uh, ambitious in a way that like by hiding it, it makes it worse. Uh, mm. And eventually over the course of the series learns to like bring those two things into a kind of harmony like no i can want to be the captain and also be nice to people those aren't actually things that will have to tear me apart internally yeah um and both of those things are present in it's what this book about and i'm like oh good sorry i'm glad the writer understands him yeah yeah uh it's background notes that i think are interesting the pelarzel do shop in tng uh they are in the episode The Host, where the fake trail shows up, and oh, he is negotiating a peace between the Alphans and Badens of Peliarzel. That is what yeah. Ambassador Odin's about. Because <laughs> they do bring up the Alphans and Badens, like, I know that. I know that from somewhere. Yes. Uh, so if you want to see what a Peliarzel looks like, they have nostrils on their, like, bridge of their nose, and weird, dumb Star Trek foreheads. Um, the Gorlins have never shown up, but an interesting reference to the Gorlins, the Gorlins are the rebellion that the ISS Enterprise is putting down, like, in an offhanded line in Mirror Mirror? <laughs> good. Yes. Oh, good. That's good. Yes. Um, but that that's what I've got for that stuff, which I think is always fun. Uh, when they, it's like, every time they pull for something for these books, they're like, what can we dig into from the original series or just random one-off aliens? How can we, like, make these things connect to each other? Yes. The idea yeah. that there's an entire race of people defined by the alphas and the betas, though, I roll. Extreme <laughs> I roll. Look, maybe this person hasn't been online. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's from like a TNG episode, so I guess it was before that stuff, probably, but the part where Admiral Tao literally comes around and starts yelling about beta cucks for like paragraphs <laughs> on end. Yeah. He sh- that sure is literally what happens in this. <laughs> yes. Like, exactly. 
Yeah, he's like, oh, this pacifistic, hear all sides beta ideology is going to poison our culture. <laughs> he does. He literally just says, oh, all these betas are too weak. <laughs> yes. I can't. I, I expected that from a beta, but not an alpha like you. <laughs> yes. As uh, the girl's like, but I trusted the. I became a cop because you told me we were doing the right thing, and now you're telling me that we intentionally did the wrong thing? I can mm-hmm. no longer be a cop. Yep. Which is a classic Star Trek plot point, that. Uh, how do you feel about Saru's, like, weird fear receptors being turned into this book into, like, a low level telepathy? Because I'm not super into it. Um. I think that's okay. Why? What's the, what's the problem? I don't know. That? I just. I feel like giving. Like. Saru's fear stuff is interesting, like on its own. I guess I don't need him to be like shit, shitter Deanna Troy. But it, it's not out. It's only in the context of when he's like uh, around the the Gorlans, That's and true. Specifically, Edge Like it is. Um, to me, it doesn't suggest that Saru's like this is what his character is. It more suggests that uh, the nature of Saru can change depending on the context he is. When he's in a Federation context, he has to, like, his brain is this way and this is what it means, but then he goes into another culture and it has a completely different relationship uh, with, like, the way that culture operates. Yes. uh, Is how I read that. That's true. Uh, I feel like the 2250s really need counselors on starships. Holy shit. Uh, They have, there's a line in this where they, they have them. Oh, do they? They're like... Hey Sarah, do you go need to see the doctor? He's like, no, I'm not. I'm not like having him pregnant about this. I'm disquieted. I think that the it's a, there's a problem with the with the situation. Well, do they me. do they say the doctor? Or do they say the counselor? Um, I think they say they say might say doctor. I don't know. It it, okay. re- it read like you need to go talk to Esri. Like it's yeah, you know. But they they could be like the pre like you know mental health facilities of the world where if you were sad you went to see your like gp right like bones is going to give you some scotch today to go lay down oh you mean this world that we're living in yes yes (laughs) classic world um because there is a there is a distinct point in star trek where counselors start showing up on ships and it's not here uh because was the implication in tng originally meant to be that counselors are always like on the bridge or was that just because she was an empath no i think it's like a new thing i think there's a line in okay. like there was cut from uh relics that's about like when counselors appeared or something we covered this at some point i don't remember okay because i just yeah i you know i but i i never do anything with it but the idea that like counselors become very crucial people to the functioning of not just a star trek but also like it's bridge and command situation i think probably when you ver- decided that the ships were just going to be like full cities and not just like submarines right is when yeah. you're like we should probably have a therapist on board and it's a good, yeah that's a really interesting decision they don't do anything with it and now they're all warships again yes <laughs> uh, rip but Saru could really, like, honestly, everyone on the bridge crew, I feel like, could use some counseling because the, like, Georgia's second command is like this uh, Andorian who just hates Saru. Like, just hates Saru in a way that is unreasonable for Star Trek. Just completely hates him. Uh, but he he's literally, gonna... like, the minute Saru disobeys orders, which is the thing every Star Trek character does, he's like, oh, maybe he's been, like, brain mind controlled. He's a evil rogue Kelpian. Please, we're going to go tear apart his quarters and figure out what's going on. I, I I like that stuff a lot, actually. Really? Well, yeah, because I think it uh, drives the themes of what the book's actually about. I guess I like part of that is very much like 
because this takes place before even TOS, they're like, we have to make sure this is the roughest, tumblest version of Star Trek that we've ever written. So the first well, officer is a shitbag for no good oh, reason. I, it's not necessarily that the first officer is a shitbag. I like the, the fact that uh, he, they go into his quarters. That's the part I like. The characterization of the android is more funny than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the part... The thing that I realized about this book when reading it is that it presents as it's about like fear and the way fear can like distort you from achieving your goals because you just uh, react in the most base way possible. But in fact, if you think through it, we can all work together. Yes. Um, but what it ends up being is like a negotiation of the relationship between like power and consent on a galactic scale. So you have yeah. the Federation who show up and they're like, well, there's people being uh, like who are in danger and they're not under our protection and we have no right to engage with them. But if we don't, we'll die. They'll die. And so we do. Uh, and then the people they uh, help end up to be like a lower level colonial force who are also doing this to another race. Uh, and so this, this like, collapsing down and on the top you have like the Tholians who are like, no, hardline, no one interacts with us whatsoever. Uh, and I like that that um, reflect itself in the personal lives of these characters. It's like Saru comes home and realizes that his in the midst of all this, his own space has been invaded, and he has no say in it, and no way to like stop the Federation from uh, invading in his space. And that turned out to be like the more em- like Michael did that to stop him getting in trouble, but it was still like an aggression on his own agency. Like, be- I don't know I felt this book is very clear about the Federation's existence, meaning that none of the actors within it can be neutral. Um. Um, sure. I also, like, read this book very much as, like, the idea of these, like, Saru's problem is not that Saru has problems, it's that he spends his life trying to act like he's a human. (laughs) And the minute that he uses the things that make him unique and interesting to, like, solve problems and act, like, with his own, like, thoughtful impulses and not just like what would i be expected to do in this situation he finds answers that he would thought didn't think himself capable of finding ah, that's and like great. is ambitious in the way that starfleet or every character in star trek the ideal is that you were capable of doing the thing you believe in and succeeding even when everything else tells you not to do it and mm-hmm. sorry was able to do that and he's the character who's always been pitched as being incapable of that yeah it's great yep uh the way that Sarah comes out the other side and is like terrified he's about to get uh, completely lose his job and get dismissed from the fleet. Yes. And then George is like, eh, I mean, like you fucked up, but you know, this is what you're meant to do. Just do it better next time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because uh, he, yeah, because he apologizes. He's like, oh, I'll never do it again. She's like, no, that's not it. Just make sure that next time you do it better. He's like, I will endeavor to do better. And she's like, you better. <laughs> and then, because she's also like, no, you and Michael are both fuck ups. Like, I, I'd be giving her the exact same monologue here. You see, this is like a rivalry, but you're both my messy children. Yeah, she's like, I like you both. You are the exact same person, and yes. you hate each other for it, but I need you both. Uh, uh, the, the way that this um, frames the relationship between Michael and Sarah is very good. I like the fact that this is all a prequel also, because I feel like this relationship would be really, really boring if we didn't, if it wasn't fixed, that they have already gone through like a much bigger tension and have already come out that the other side to be best friends. Yeah. Uh, the part where it's all like, are they going to hate each other? Are they going to get over themselves? As like a tension seems like very boring, but as like a hindsight, this was the life before as we like were basically children trying to understand each other when we we're already the same uh, is a much better and more mature framing for their conflict. Yes. Because it ends with them playing fake Kelpian chess. Uh, yes, also Burnham 
tries to lecture Saru on being more personable of all people in the world. Of all people. She's like, you need to find some friends. I mean, she's she's right, but also of all the people. Like, Burnham, what are you doing? Yep. Yeah. Good characters. Yeah. Uh, I'm so, so excited. You got? Uh, yeah, that's basically the thing that I had. Um, I was, uh, again, like, um, all Star Trek things ever do the thing where it starts out and it's this really interesting exploration of like the nature of the Federation of colonialism and stuff uh, and then at the end everything's fine hooray we did it <laughs> uh, and I just like I'm like alright Star Trek it just does this every time this is why we like, tend to like the first half of these discovery books more every yes. time <laughs> uh, this one I think is a better book the entire time it oh, just much better you know it has to have hours. an ending and the ending is sorry learned a lesson but then him and Michael Burnham like become friends in a way they're not in the show at all and that's weird <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I like the uh, yeah I mean I don't think the ending is like bad because um, he definitely does like well I guess we together learned to act this but we didn't fix the problem of uh like how to exist and coexist in this universe and these power structures. So they'll go back to Pelion. Everything will probably suck. Yep. They'll have to figure this out. It's going to be a problem, but I guess it's not our problem for now. Uh, I spent the entire last act of the book thinking that everything was ruined. Uh, and luckily they knew. So the thing I was worried about is like the second discovery leaves, they're going to nuke all of Pelion. There's no way they don't. Uh, but then George is like they are protected if you even come near them we'll destroy you I'm like okay I guess they address that yeah because when um, Saru does this thing to uh, like uh, use the tractor beams to take out a Tholian they're like wait weird class Pelior is a low risk species they are now a high risk species we must deal with them yes I, I, was... I think it's weird that George is like totally gung-ho to do this here but is not like when the Klingons do this exact same thing in like three years she's like mm, I don't know maybe not I mean, there's a whole line about that. It's like, we, we shall see if I will ever have the... If, well, I hope I will never have to find out if I follow through on this threat. Well, she did not. And Michael was like, I thought you were going to follow through on the threat! No, nope, she got eaten by a Klingon instead. Rip, 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 yeah. rip. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a really good scene towards the end where Sarah's giving like a speech to everyone about the... I Like, all oh, we all have to work together in this uh, on the... On the uh, on the Pelear ship and like one of the crewmen are like, Oh, it sounds just like uh, Captain Georgiou. And the thing I liked about that is it did sound like Captain Georgiou. I feel like this book gets the voices of the three main characters that we know really, really well. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very good with the voices. Like there's a lot of dialogue in this book. Um, mm-hmm. And most of like, definitely all the Michael, Saru and Georgiou stuff is all like spot on. Those yes. are the only real characters in this book. I, and like, like especially, the minor ones, especially but, compared yeah. to like the weird, Georgie Fake. Lorca that don't feel right in the last book, and then the even like I like the Burnham Spock stuff in the first book we read was not like exceptional. Um, yeah, that stuff was more like broad themes and like yes. looking at the characters as ideas. It didn't sound like Burnham. Yes, this sounds like Burnham. Like there's lines on like I could totally hear her deliver those lines in the show. Would not mm-hmm. think anything of it. Yeah, these are now books being written after the show is established and the voices are established, which really yes. gets across how much faster voices have to be established for characters in television now. Yes. Because if you look at any book written during like season one of TNG, they're just all over the map. Like anything could happen. What do we even know about characters by episode 14 of TNG? Nothing. 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 Yeah, absolutely not. absolutely Data's nothing. a robot. We got it. Nailed it. You know, Wesley's a child. That's still true. 
Deanna Troy's got nebulous feelings abilities. Same. Riker's the hot one. Um, Picard's like a total, like, fucking hard ass. He hates children. He hates children. He hates everyone else, too, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, it took a took There's a while no chief engineer. <laughs> there is! There's no chief engineer! Yep. But yeah, I'm very glad we read this. This was a very quick read. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah, very just a very good episode of Star Trek book. Yeah. Uh, it's great to just have these be this now. Like, just make a whole series of Shenzo adventures, just fake TNG in the 2250s forever. Mm-hmm. Like, slightly messier, a, yeah. slightly, a few more aliens. Yep. Detmer's there. She survived all of this. <laughs> Detmer's there. Uh so before we like completely wrap up the podcast, you've been looking at every time there's like a preview image of Discovery, and you're like, "Oh, look at the bridge crew! They're doing stuff." Yeah, it's great. They yeah. need to be characters now. Yeah, uh, I like that stuff. I I feel like there's a big a possibility for Discovery to be a cool show about a bigger bridge crew next season. I'm very excited about it. As soon as they get that fucking cop off the ship. <laughs> let Sarah be a Brit, uh, be the captain again yes yep god right now Pike is commanding the other ship doing the thing yep <laughs> yes it's brought it full circle he's taking command of the discovery yeah and you're like no he sucks everything he wants is clearly wrong look at this cop look yep. at this cop and his cop waistband it's probably the last time he can predict do we think that he's going to be the captain of the entire show do you think it's just the first two episodes what do you think what? No, no way the entire show. What? Okay. I think that the Enterprise leaves by, like, episode two and we have a bunch of time with the Discovery on its own. Possibly, like, if Pike sticks around, like, I could maybe see that. But I think that the Enterprise and Spock are all going to go away after like, a couple episodes and maybe come back later. Um, that's my hope. That's that's the thing I genuinely hope for. My prediction is Spock, Pike. Like, they've pitched this Spock thing as being, like, the thing the season's about, and it's the first three episodes, and then they wrap it up and move on to, like, one-off Star Trek episodes. I mean, Spock will come back at the end of the season, is my guess. Okay, fair enough. Because uh, the, the whole thing's about them, like, doing this big galactic space mystery. Uh, yeah, so they're finding, like, weird red beacons, right? One of them's going to be Cybok. Not, it's not, but I want it to be <laughs> Please. Uh, it's the episode Brother 2. <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, I, I think Pike won't be there after the first couple episodes, but I could see a world where he is, but I, the Enterprise definitely won't be there that long. Yeah, I, I would assume not. I hope not. And it'll be everyone searching for the beacons and having episodes kind of form around them. Yep. We have anything as good as the time loop. I hope so. I hope we have, um, like, a couple episodes as good as the time loop. Yep, me too. Me too. How much, uh, how much, uh, Laurel and, uh, Ash Tyler are we going to get? Uh, loads. Uh, we, we both immediately in our heads constructed the entire Laurel and Ash plotline from a single image that we saw, which is of bearded Ash Tyler with a section 31 beard. Oh, section 21 badge, I guess. The beard's just him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, oh, Laurel's going to send fucking Ash to infiltrate fed, uh, Section 31 and report back to the Klingons. Yep. Which is our prediction on that. That's how we think. We think, I, I was like, well, they're going to play that as him. Maybe he's working for Section 31 and then you'll find out he's doing a mission for the Klingons. Uh, yeah. Like four episodes later, you know, they'll expect you to be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> 
Remember when they invented him as a person? Remember, remember Javidic Bal? Yeah, I, I miss him. He was a great actor. He had a lot <laughs> of potential. It's sad he's been erased from history. <laughs> Spock decided he didn't matter, and they just let him die. <laughs> the podcast where we were um, talking around the fact that this guy obviously was a fake person that didn't exist, and then that was true, but also he was real, was so funny. <laughs> yep. Oh, I'm so I'm so ready for Discovery. Two weeks. Yep. Two weeks. Yeah. Soon we will know the answers. We will know the answers. So that's it for this episode. Yeah. Um. You know, as always, go to uh, Star Trek Podcast Space to see all the notes and you know just kind of what ne- what's coming up next. We'll be back next week with short tracks. Jackson plugs. Uh, I am at Headfuls Off on Twitter. You can find other podcasts from uh, our network at abnormalmapping dot com. Uh, we have abnormal mapping. It's a game club. We like it. We're playing video games. We're we're making it good this year. I mean, it was good last year. But it's gonna be even better this year. So you should definitely listen. Uh, we're about to. We're like two weeks away from recording our Final Fantasy twelve episode. So yeah, God, I'm excited. That's gonna be good. Um, that's yeah. And where else can you find us? Uh, you can find me at em underscore being on Twitter. We also have a Patreon that supports all the shows on our network. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash abnormalmapping to see that. Uh, for $1 a month, you get The Great Gundam Project, which is every Wednesday me and Jackson talk about Gundam uh, forever, seemingly. We'll be doing it for <laughs> seven, eight more years. Uh, we cover two episodes or a movie. Like, when this episode comes out, we're a day away from our Shara's Counterattack episode coming out. If you want to hear about a different uh, sci-fi vision of the future. <laughs> one that's most different. <laughs> one that's maybe more pessimistic, but also way more like politically radicalized, at least the way we, we read it. Apparently not how everyone reads <laughs> no, it. No, no, everyone uh, reads it. <laughs> uh, you can listen to that. Gundam's great. Uh, we try to make it very easy to get into, even if you're like, I mean, we went into this new to Gundam. It's not like, like this where we talk about all of star trek at once uh yeah we understand this a, is for star trek fans but you can go on the gundam journey with us you don't have to yes, already be in absolutely uh, uh there's other uh, stuff you get writing every week for me and jackson there for five dollars you get a fun podcast about us talking about utter bullshit every two weeks for ten dollars you can be on one of our episodes if you go you just find the details you could be here you could talk about your favorite star trek episodes you can make us read a different sci-fi book uh people people on our youtube comments these episodes are like read star wars books we're not going to you have to pay us to read star wars books we'll do it we will do it if you pay us but i I don't think anyone wants that because i could tell you the jokes we're going to make right now the problem is, uh, there's a lot of different ways we can talk about Star Trek. There's only one conversation we can have about Star Wars, and we're happy to have it again. If you I mean, pass. I just, I just fucking start repeating the three pro <laughs> yes. prequel lines I like over and over again. Talk about dancing, and they're on dancing. It's far too remote to make an effective demonstration. <laughs> it's like you know, that's all that some consider to be unnatural. <laughs> that's what we got. Like, if you want that episode, we will happily provide. Everyone will have a good time. But our Star Trek episodes are way more interesting. Yeah, like I, 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 I guess I like Star Wars, but in a much more simple, dumb way. So it's much more simple and dumb. Simple and dumb. The Star Wars song. But someone right. eventually is going to be like, I need to know what M thinks of Thrawn, and then I'm going to have to tell you what I think of Thrawn. I mean, I've read two out of three Thrawn books. I've, the third one is on my Kindle. I'll read it eventually. I'd like to finish that. I've never read one, so... That's fine. That's it! Goodbye, everybody. Thank you yeah, for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, I will see you out there. Hold it! Listen!